Righto. No, no, no. See, ah. see what's going to happen now? <laughs> you see how we start? There is no formula anymore. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. Old school. Kick it. Hey, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. I don't even like the new one. I, I, let's go back to what we were doing. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Everybody settle down. Relax. Don't be nervous. Yeah, man. Yeah. Take a chill pill. I, I was done. Allegedly. I don't know what they, that might mean nowadays. Not, yeah, just yeah. a metaphoric one. Yeah, like the eat, ones that you tell kids to take. Yeah. Eat eat a, eat a something prepared in a, a tree nut free factory and just relax and drink your tea. Okay. What's going on, Tom? Not much. Um, you know what? I've been watching a lot recently some Japanese films. Ah. Um, that I think some of our, our, our viewers might be aware of. Have you ever seen of. Uh, you've probably heard of Ichi the Killer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, when you bring up movies, I get a little on edge because I, I, you know, I don't want to be uh, um, out, in, you know, intelligentsiaed here. No. Yes. Familiar with the film? Uh, I saw it many years ago. Yeah, I, I saw it for the first time. This is like a, a standard in the Japanese kind of shock gore horror, horror world, and it's a really good movie. Very beloved film in the yeah. underground death metal scene, as I, you know, I've heard people uh, over the years and read about it. Yeah, that's you know, kind of kind of a standard once you get to a certain, yeah. I guess, level of gore movies. I suppose I was just overlooking it for far too long, but uh, yeah. yeah. So that's been resonating in my brain for the last like two days. All that torture. Wow. Yeah. No, that's that, yeah, that's a wild one there. Uh, you did flex on me already, though. Because I had a movie, I, it's funny, it's really very serendipitous, because I, I forgot to ask you to bring up the movies, because I have a bit, oh. you know, just being transparent with the listeners. Yeah, I watched a movie recently that I skipped over myself um, uh, a, many years ago and never watched a big movie. You could, it, is, it is a horror movie, that's kind of the point I want to make here. Um, but it's... What you just said in the movie you brought up instantly flexes anything I have to bring up now. Because the movie I saw that I skipped over many Oops. many moons ago. Have you ever seen Interview with a Vampire starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt? Yes, I have. And I like that movie. No shame. I agree. Hard agree. It is a That is a good horror movie, sir. Period. It's an interesting tale. I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah, it made me want to read the book. It made Anne me Rice, want to, right? Anne Rice, rest in peace. Um, it, it, she she's no longer with us. She died that's, like last month. That's yeah. oh wow. Okay, all right. All right. Well, she, I did some research. She, origi- she originally she had uh, um, written the book after her her own daughter had passed away back mm. in the sixties, and so and the, and the book came out in the seventies. Yeah, and it, it, crazy story, man. But a lot of a lot of depth there you know I, the movie came out when i was a teenager i believe young you know that it's a it's let's 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 not beat around the bush it had some very homoerotic overtones sure did yeah um they 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 played up this kind of like very fluffy french nobleman poofy hair thing going on it, it, i'll just say the appeal was lost on me as a 17 year old dying fetus fan in the late 90s sure yeah i mean it's definitely it wasn't ever marketed or even um, packaged in any way that would speak to uh, us as a demographic, even today. As horror movie fans, even. I feel like I feel like I felt almost taboo describing it as a horror movie just now. Yeah, it it teeters there. Um, But yeah, it's it's, got some good storytelling. I mean, there's some really horrific implications. 
Oh yeah, I, it's it, there's there's some really interesting ideas. I don't want to spoil it because I feel like maybe there's some listeners who have written that movie off based on uh, some of the, uh, the you know the actors involved and some of the superficial uh, you know like imagery you get from just seeing the trailer or, or you know seeing the poster in uh, a girlfriend's room when you were in high school or you know something along those lines. Yeah, it just had that appeal, man. Hey. Uh- I, I could talk about a vampire movie to bash that I watched recently. Oh boy, um, Blood for Dracula uh, by not familiar. It's an Andy Warhol presentation with Udo Kier as Dracula. Okay, what do you mean? Is now by presentation? Are you just are you just being linguistic there, or is that or is this no, a different? This is different from a movie. It's it's a movie, but instead, and he's. Producing it in some regards, but he wants to be known as like basically second-handedly directing it. Um, his involvement was basically that of giving everyone else jobs, and then him being like a grand overseer, executive producer. But that yes. does not sell as much as presented by. That's my ideal band situation, but I don't have the money to fund that. Warhol had a lot of money. As much shit as I may have talked about Nader Sadek, I just want to do that. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's the dream, man. Am I a hypocrite? Maybe. I, you know, sorry. I'm not, I don't have anything to prove. If I had the bankroll. Look, if I won the lottery, buy a strip mall out East Long Island, laundromat, liquor store, check cashing spot, we're done. It's the dream, man. Hey, we have hire to f- Big Fergus from Buckshot Facelift for security. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think we need to figure out for you like a career path in which you could take what Andy Warhol did. Like, yeah. So Andy Warhol was a prolific artist before he just started drawing soup cans like an idiot. Um, we need to learn how to dumb down your act. Wow. You're a proficient death metal vocalist. How do we box that to reach a bigger audience? Funny you should uh, mention that, because tonight we're going to be talking about really ignorant, brutal slams all over the place. Uh, in a sea, no, I'm being a little facetious. That's not fair to our guests, but I, I, I like I like that segue. It was very blunt and brutal, just like the music we're going to be talking to, uh, just like the music we're going to be talking about. Listen, um, uh, the way a lot of death metal vocalists box themselves in by staying boxed in is staying with brutal death metal, keeping it sick, keeping it brutal over the years. We all love technical death metal and dissonant death metal and wah wah wah, but you know sometimes you got to keep it sick. Long Island is known for that. Um, and, and Long Island has a prestigious history of brutal death metal. Arguably, uh, the local region that defined brutality and the brutal death metal subgenre by way of bands like Suffocation, most importantly, Pyrexia and Internal Bleeding. Our guest tonight is my old friend Dave Gladding. Uh, who grew up on Long Island, participated in local bands like myself through the years, a member of the Communion uh, for a while, which we will talk about, and more importantly, um, a local death metal historian like myself, someone who always collected the sickest and most underground of uh, tapes and CDs through the years and talked uh, underground death metal with me. I I appreciate his support. I know he's always followed my acts and supported my uh, bands, and along with his brother Trevor, was always there at the shows. Big shout to um, uh, his brother Trevor. And... uh, 
um, uh, tonight we're going to get him on the horn to talk some local Long Island death metal history, uh, turn up some rocks on some bands and albums that maybe people don't realize or uh, appreciate for whatever reasons we like him for, and get his, uh, his own recommendations on things. And then beyond that, at the end, uh, another loyal listener that I haven't known as long is going to recommend some other things that are pretty fucking brutal and ignorant too. from the Heavy Hole Podcast, and today my guest is my longtime friend, uh, a Long Islander himself, Dave Gladding. How you doing, Dave? I'm good. Good to hear from you. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, and for the listeners, I gave a little introduction um, be- before we even had you on the line, line, Dave, and I explained that you're the former bass player of the band The Communion, which longtime listeners might remember Nick Cassiopo, the longtime singer of the communion, gave kind of a breakdown of the whole band's history very early on in our podcast history. They could go back and check that out. But more importantly, Dave, you're around my age and you've been following underground death metal, particularly local Long Island death metal, for about the same time. And I would say with the same um, fever and obsession. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. We, <laughs> Sorry, we, man. I think I gotta be more uh, verbose. No, let me give you more time, man, because I'm I, I'm overly verbose sometimes, man. So taking it back to the beginning, I know you and your brother Dave. You guys are twins, right? Yeah, you, we are. You and your brother Trevor, I should say, Dave. You and Trevor are twins. Um, take me back first of all, and let me let me let you take the wheels for a minute and introduce yourselves to the audience. Um, uh, growing up, are you, and, uh, you, you know, I know you play bass in the communion for a while. Are there musicians in your family older than yourselves or people older than you, somewhat in your upbringing that steer you towards rock and hard, hard rock, heavy metal music? Uh, not really. Um, when I was growing up, my dad would always, he like wanted to learn to play guitar. So he was like, there was always, you know, a guitar around and every I was like sort of laugh at this, like every like, you know, however many years he would decide to get back into it and to do so he would buy a new guitar. So there was like always three or four guitars uh, kicking around the house at any one time. And uh, which is probably why I still have, I have like multiple musical instruments around uh, the house right now. I just sort of um, collect things, but uh, yeah, no, no, no real musicians. Um, my Dad especially had a, a huge record collection growing up, which I think sort of inspired the interest in music in general. But I can't really put a finger on who or how I sort of like fell in with like heavy metal and hard rock and uh, things of that nature. Probably just I guess it was just like the sound that I liked when I was a uh, got old enough to care. Okay, now, as I stated in my rambling wheelbarrow of a intro, you have a twin brother, Trevor. Yes. Um, and it's like now my my mother and my aunt are identical twins. Uh, you guys are you guys identical twins? We are identical twins. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So 
Now, growing up, I, I mean, take, give me some insight into that just growing up because I'm an only child, first of all. I don't even know about brothers or sisters, really. I have a first cousin, shout to Raul, I love him, but I don't, you know, I don't know about that. Growing up as identical twins, this is a music-based podcast. Did you guys always gravitate to the same types of entertainment and later on music? Um, more or less, yeah. You know, we were both, we always have been and still are like, I guess, the greater umbrella of heavy metal and its various like subgenres have always been like, it has always been a shared uh, uh, interest, you know, like, like, well, like we each sort of like, sort of like went our different ways and, and like got into different sort of, uh, you know, subgenres, I guess. Like I got, I was way more into death metal than uh, Trevor was, but he was really like ahead of the game when it came to like getting into like power violence and grindcore and stuff like that. Like back in the, like the mid to late nineties when it was first kind of coming up. Mm. So, so that's interesting because I know you guys and prepping for this interview, big shout to Trevor, like I said, but I didn't think about his, him as much because I don't have him on the line. Maybe we could get him on the line for another interview one day. That would be interesting. Um, but, you know, because thinking about you, I was like, this guy, Dave, should have been on the podcast. We should always have, you know, have booked him because we always have great conversations because you have a great depth of knowledge about not just underground death metal, but a power violence and grind and understanding of the whole scene and framing it like that. You and your brother, you kind of have this double pronged approach to it where he's kind of investigating one aspect of the scene while you're over here, while you're in torture crypt and internal bleeding land. He's in like spaz and, and slap a ham records land roughly right yeah awesome so what what is your first uh well let's go let's go this route what's your first live music experience in general not even heavier music or whatever what is like just any kind of live music how old are you uh the first concert i ever went to i was like i think like five or six and my parents took us to see uh the beach boys in chicago at uh Jones Beach Theater. Nice. That's so Long Island. I love it, man. That's great. Chicago and Boston are very Long Island bands for some reason. It just makes sense. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, that dinosaur rock that everybody goes to see at uh, <laughs> Jones Beach. Yeah, it's good. To, it's for, good, it's good music to get drunk on a boat to. Yeah, you know, if, if I wasn't five years old, I probably would have been hammered. But you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was a good show. I don't even remember it, but. All right, so let's fast forward from Jones Beach. When? What about underground music? When do you, who, who is it first that ventures into like heavy metal, hard rock, uh, live music? Like, what's the first uh, metal show? And then, and then, like, how do we get more underground? Like, to, to, let's start, like, like, what's the what's the underground venues in the '90s? You know, let's go there. Uh, well, the first underground show I went to was actually Death at the Roxy. You bastard. I'm sorry. I thought you. I thought you were my age. How old are you? How old are you, Dave? I'm uh, 42. All right, Dave's. Dave's got like a, just a hair, a few years. A matter if, if when we were babies, our parents would have described it in months. Uh, and, and if it makes you feel any better, I got I got there by like the skin of my teeth. Like I saw. Yeah. yeah. What was it? The night, night summer '95. I saw. I think it was Death on the Symbolic Tour mm. with Pyrexia. Damn. Who, and, who who was singing for Pyrexia? 
uh, uh, DeVito. It was the um. Okay. Okay. It's funny. They actually, the guys in the band, were standing outside of the the venue, telling people to say say Pyrexia at the door, and you'll get a free CD. That's <laughs> that's so nineties. That's how I got the hatred, anger, and disgust uh, CD. And they were, you know, they, they totally just blew my my mind when I saw them. Like I was totally unfamiliar with them, but they just, you know, at the Roxy they had like the the curtain that opened every time, like between like when the band started, and there was like a smoke machine going, and it was like it was sick. It was really cool. Wow, man! And the list, the longtime listeners know I've I've often lamented that the Roxy was the local venue here in Huntington, my hometown where I've lived all my life, that closed down. Shortly before I ever got a chance to go see underground bands, obviously, Dave, you got the opportunity. That's great. I, you know, I'm joking around. Obviously, just busting balls, man. That's great that you got to go there. Um, was were you there with Trevor? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I was actually. It was me, Trevor, and our uh, our friend Ray, who uh, yeah, we just we, we like I guess we sort of got into heavy metal and like graduated through the uh the various subgenres together the uh, the three of us through like junior high and, and uh high school and stuff and uh actually um i don't know interesting side note i actually we met this guy darren on the the line to get into the show and we all like started a band together not trevor but like me and ray and darren and this other guy so it was like really you know like a super like I don't know concert experience. <laughs> what did the what was the band? Did it go anywhere? Uh, it did. It kind of went went places without me. Um, the it, the band was first called Infamy, and then they changed their name to Coratory. And the, the during like when I was in the band, when it was called Infamy, it was sort of like Death Rash, and uh, then they sort of like veered more towards like the what i like to call like the pantera style like anger metal like and it's just like i i kind of huh. lost lost interest with it at that point but uh not the same darren that that worked with unearthly unearthly trance long time member not that guy no different okay. guy okay different darren shout, shout to him anyway. yeah shout to unearthly trance guys um uh all right well speaking of that that era and that area uh, and uh, those guys um, the Unearthly Trance guys are from your area, right? You're from Nassau County, Long Island, right? Yeah. How long yeah. do you go back with uh, rest in peace to our good friend Lee Altamari? Um, not. I mean, not very long at all. Like I, we had a common friend who introduced us. Like she knew that I played bass and. Lee was looking for a bass player for the communion and she just sort of like I guess we I can't remember we shared phone numbers or you know AOL instant messenger handles or whatever it was but you know we started talking and I was living in uh, New Paul's at the time that's right okay now you're refreshing my memory on some things go ahead yeah so yeah like I you know I I started making the trek down to you know to jam with the communion like uh Whenever I could, but I, I was like still living like two hours away, so you know, it was a chore, but it was a lot of fun. You know, we had very similar interests in music, and Lee had so much 
like of a broader he like he just had heard way more bands than I had and like various you know like the the doom stuff and stoner metal and black metal and stuff so it was really kind of interesting like hanging out and having him play stuff for me that I was kind of unfamiliar with yeah it's shout to Lee rest in peace to him now and but you when you mentioned new pulse you just sparked a whole field of memories in my head because you know, uh, it's like I said, Dave, I've seen you and your brother around at shows. I have memories of even kind of seeing you guys before we really hung out or knew one another at some local shows here on Long Island. Dude, I-, I totally remember seeing you at, like, Dr. Shea's or Crawdaddy's, wherever it was called back then. Of course. When you had that, that vest with the, I think it was like a, <laughs> what was it, dead infection patch on the back? It was, it was Adam Rotella had a chapter of accidents, a dead infection official chapter of accidents T-shirt at some point that he gave to me. I think it got ripped or something, and I turned it into a back patch. Yes, I still do have it. It's some, I, have, I have it framed here in my, nice. in my office, yes. Um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was that – that was, yeah, thanks, thanks for, for making yeah. – thanks for giving me the automatic flex. Um, hey, dude, you know, I, I, I don't know what – like, I remember seeing you and seeing, like, the patch and being, like, I've seen that name around, and, like – you know, being the awkward fucking teenager I was at the time, I was like, no way in hell I was going to go and talk to you. But I was like, not like, you know, 20 some years later, I was like, oh, I wish I would have gone to talk to the guy because, you know, who knew that you were like, you know. The, the other awkward teenager, the more awkward teenager. Yeah. The, <laughs> we probably, the two of us. Yeah, we might have got together and had a conversation. We probably made the building collapse. It was so awkward. <laughs> you you might have, we might have started a band and you could be an awkward 40 year old loser like me. Now. No, I'm, no, let's not play around. Look. A 42 year old loser. <laughs> but look, uh, uh, Dave, yes. Yeah, so, so I think it was that Biolich rehearsal. And then when you were in New Pulse, did, you, did your brother go there with you? He did, yeah. Okay, man. Twins, and you went to the same college, man. So you guys definitely worked towards that. Yeah, no, it was. Um, Trevor went there first. I actually, uh, I started at a different college because I wanted to be. I started as a zoology major, huh? And I got like two days into my first week of class and realized <laughs> that zoology is a lot of science, which it never occurred to me before that so i changed to like uh video production and decided to just go to a different school that was uh closer to home you know this day and age you could probably go on youtube and watch animals killing people music videos but back then the zoology game was definitely harder to get into yeah yeah i don't know i still don't know why i i guess it's good that i steered away from it being that i didn't even have the the brain power to <laughs> see like the the ology at the end of the word which kind of denotes it it's a science but maybe you mistook uh, it for ectomy and thought it was about maybe. sick bands yeah i was just like oh that, that sounds brutal <laughs> so well what i'm building up to with the new suny new pulse you brought biolich uh up didn't you hook us up with a show up there in the kind of college town area of, of suny new pulse i remember traveling up there and meeting you and some of your friends up there yeah my uh my friend bernie who uh he he booked shows he was in a couple of bands also um that i'm drawing blanks on the name of but uh bernie booked shows at that place Cavaloosa's in town yeah i still have the flyer yes yeah yeah i got you guys the show and then like uh some sometime later that year i got salako to come up and play also shout to eric burke 
cool guys. I actually had them over to my place for dinner before the show, and oh. it made me realize that I kind of wish I had done that with you guys, but it didn't uh, occur to me at the time. I, it wouldn't have been a pleasant conversation, man. That band had an interesting chemistry. We'll leave it at that. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, New Paltz. Now, I'm a little fuzzy on the timeline here because, as I said, I remember going up to Cabalusa's, Bernie booking the show for BioLich. That was a fun time. Another fun time I remember having with you and Trevor back in the day was the 2004 Maryland Death Fest. Yeah. That was a ball. Yeah, that was so good. You guys were were at, were still in Newports at the at that point. We met up with you there from that. Uh yeah, it must have been. I have. Yeah. A, I, I I'm a little fuzzy on the dates as far as like when you guys played uh when you guys played New Pauls and and whatnot, but. Yeah. yeah, it was like, what, the second year of Maroon Death Fest? It was one of those. It was the first year that they had a pre-show, because I know that we played the first ever, like, pre-fest on the Thursday at the Sidebar, one of my favorite yeah. venues in Baltimore, in um, uh, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. And um, uh, then we also played at the actual Maryland Death Fest that year. Now, I want to talk about my favorite memory of you and Trevor at the Maryland Death Fest 2004. But first, I'd like to get some of your favorite memories from that year, if you could recollect maybe some of your favorite sets that you witnessed or just anything from that from that Death Fest. And, and then I'll tell you what I remember. Talking about the Maryland Death Fest part two or year two, uh, the first one that jumps out was uh, Ling Che. Or, yes, yeah. that's right. Dude, I don't... I don't know what happened with them with the uh between the, the singer and the rest of the band, but that guy, the ninja, was like <laughs> the best uh live front man. He was, was pretty just, nuts. Yeah, like just so much energy and just like it's like a, a, a funny gimmick too. Like, you know, I, I don't think like there was anything like kung fu related to uh to the the lyrical content or anything, but their set just like floored me. I, I I don't think I'd heard them before then, but I was just like, fucking awesome. Lang Che, a great band that went on to release a lot of good material after that. But you're right, that one singer, the Ninja guy. I they now this is a memory I don't know if I've ever shared on the podcast because I've talked before about Biolich playing the pre-show and the 2004 Death Fest in Maryland, but. Lang Che actually played Brooklyn. I I want to. I, I think it was the Monday after Maryland Death Fest. We played in Brooklyn, but not in like the kind of like back in two thousand four. What would have been like the more popping part? Like it was just in a desolate far part of part of Brooklyn at some club that didn't normally have a lot of shows. And and it was Biolich, Lang Che, and Noraxis from Canada. Dude, I, I got stories about Naraxis, man. Those guys are so fucking cool. Yeah, and I, I will. I, I, I want to hear it because one, because here's here's my story about the Ninja. I bought everyone from Lang Che a beer because I felt so bad for them because the show it was on a Monday night in some faraway spot in Brooklyn that didn't really have. A, I didn't know it for having shows, and you know there wasn't a huge turnout. Um, so I bought all those guys a beer, and the, the singer, the ninja, he was straight edge. That's how I found out. He, you know, he he re- he respectfully, you know, explained to me he do, you know he doesn't drink beer, but you know that was well, it. 
beer is no match for his kung fu. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, man. He was yeah, he was about it. But uh, what what's up with Naraxis? You know those guys? Uh, no, I don't. Like, I had a, a really great experience with them though. Uh, so I can't remember how the hell I found out about the show. It must have been like on like the relapse board or something like that. But um, Malamore from uh, upstate. They brought down Naraxis for some reason to play a show. And they played like, it was in like Middletown, New York, which is like, it's like like a bigger town, but kind of in the middle of no place. Huh. Uh, if you know, like upstate New York at all. Yeah, upstate. And uh, so me and my friend Chris, who, uh, you know, I've, I've known for, for years, he like, he lives up by Albany, but we just know each other through the internet. We went to the show. And we ended up being the only two people there. Oh, no. But like, props to both those bands. They played like, their their hearts out for us. They played, they were jumping around and like, and then afterwards we like went back to one of the guys from Malamore's house with them. And like, we were like chilling and listening to CDs and stuff. And it was like, and then like, I, I feel like it was like the year before Maryland Death Fest when they played. When I showed up, they all recognized me and were like, oh, and I, I recognized them too. I like, but then I could remember their names. I can't remember their names now, but like, it was, it was really cool. Like, they were such nice guys. That's awesome, man. Now, Naraxis is a Canadian band. Are, are they still around? Do you, do you follow them up to the date? Um, I don't, I don't think they're around, but actually, uh, another uh, side note when we were at the show, I mentioned, that I had their first album, uh, Imagery, and they yes. were all really surprised. Like I guess they didn't realize that it had gotten whatever distribution that it uh, had gotten. So like the uh, you know it had gotten down to the states, and it was like I read a review of it somewhere, and just it sounded good, so I checked it out. And it, was, it was really good music. It's like a little a little different than I guess the the later stuff, but um, still really good. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. It looks like um, the band's been on hold since 2015, uh, but they have, uh, including the imagery, their first album that you just talked about, the band released a total of six full-length albums uh, that the listeners should probably go check out. Um, now, you mentioned... I they had more than three. <laughs> yeah, dude, they had a lot of... Naraxis, a great... Um, in this era, I feel like in this era, Naraxis would be instantly signed to, to Unique Leader. And have lyric videos and and tablature YouTube videos like and shit like that. Yeah, and they'd be touring like big like metal, probably like metalcore slash death metal package tours. Yeah, they they were like a little bit ahead of the curve on some of that stuff. Great band, um, but also I think with a dose of psychroptic, I feel like I feel like they would be also maybe like they would be a great supporting act for psychroptic. But um, Naraxis. You mentioned Malamore. That's a band that we put on our little list, our little cheat sheet for our conversation we wanted to have, and this might be a good way to transition into that. Malamore, this is a band, they put out two demos, and they're Dead to the World uh, full-length album on um, Amputated Vein Records in 2004. Uh, not necessarily the easiest stuff to track down. You could probably look it up, but a great underrated New York band from Kingston, New York. That's upstate, right? Is yeah, 
uh, give me your take on Malamore since you seem to have this like really cool uh, um, uh, recollection of them have, having seen them live and being one of two people in the audience. Uh, I, I, I like them. I, that was like, you know, the draw is that I when they announced the show, I was a fan of Naraxis and I was a fan of Malamore. I had had the Malamore demo for, I forget what it's called, the, uh, for a few years by then. And it was just like really good, like sort of like more like metal, more like metalcore sort of uh, slant on like what Eternal Bleeding was doing. Like sort of, it's like very much death metal, but like a little bit more, I don't know, hardcore-ish, deathcore, I don't know what you call it. That's but, uh, that's fair. That's fair. But uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it was really a, a trip to see them and, same thing, like everybody in the band was super cool, super nice. I actually just got the uh, the Dead to the World CD like pretty recently off of uh, Discogs. I kind of slept on it for a while, but it's like their, uh, what is it, Suicide Machine that they do? That's a, a pretty cool uh, cover. The Death cover, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, um, yeah, now I want to share with you my memory of seeing Malamore. I saw them. Do you know there's the, the Biolich did play there, but it was probably it's, it's one of those clubs on Long Island, much like the place that was most recently Revolution, but was also um, Ollie's Point and Crawdaddy's and Doctor Shays or whatever. All those places, you know. Um, yeah. Another place like that was on Deer Park Avenue in Deer Park, right before. The overpass, it was like a sports bar when Biolich played in the early 2000s. And I think Malamore played with Biolich or played there at that during that era. It was a dinky little sports bar on Deer Park Avenue. And Malamore, I feel like Malamore played with Biolich there because I, I watched them play for like all of a dozen people um, at this sports bar that didn't even have a proper... Stage Pyrexia might have played that night as well, man. It was like a weekday night. It was one of those shows. It was just one of those shows. But it was, it was one of those shows where the bands gave a hundred percent, regardless of um, uh, who was there to support death metal or not. So you know, props to them. But Malamore really won me over. Even um, this is close to twenty years later now, talking about them. And uh, before this episode is uploaded, I definitely will surf Discogs. By the way, for the listeners, I'm going to be transparent. I surf Discogs for certain albums before interviews come out because I'm watching you guys out there, too. You want to see if the value of something goes up when uh, after you feature them? I am um, dri- I'm like Gordon Gecko of death metal Discogs. I'm trying to drive the market up for certain things, man. We're still, I'm still waiting for that Biolich tape to 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 get to get up. Now, I, I have to be honest with you. I don't even look up my own bands on Discogs. It would be depressing that other people are making more money off my music than me. But that's a conversation for another time, Dave. Um, uh, we kind of segued into this, but I want to get more about your experience with the communion because we left that out. And another thing I left out quickly, my my recollection of 2004 Maryland Death Fest of you and your brother Trevor is you guys in the circle pit from a cob. Do you recollect that? It's it's blurry, but yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> you guys were like little kids. You had smiles on your faces. It was beautiful. The, the, yeah. One of the most beautiful death metal experiences of my life was not even I would I, dude. I'm 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 a big fat guy. I was not in a. In, I, if I go in a circle pit, I slow it down. I I stand to the side. I let you guys enjoy yourselves. 
In the words of the rapper Jay-Z, Hove did that, Hove did that, so hopefully you won't have to go through that. So, speaking of the time machine, Dave, I feel like this might be a good part to transition. Now that we've discussed your pedigree and a little bit of where you and I come from, Okay, now we had a list of albums we wanted to discuss from, uh, we wanted to dis- not discuss, but discuss from Long Island death metal history and New York death metal history that people may or may not realize are special for certain reasons. The first one being um, the classic band Sorrow, which I, you know, I got to clear this up. I don't, maybe certain members were from Long Island, maybe certain members were from the city. I don't know, but I always go back in Long Island death metal history and have to look at Sorrow. Um, they released their album Hatred and Disgust on Roadrunner Records back in 1992, a compilation um, of that and their EP Forgotten Sunrise was released in 2010 on Metal Mind Productions. You might want to look that up if you can find it. Um, but this is like a very undercredited Nassau County um, or New York City uh, band from back in the day, from 1992, man. I listened to it today, and I have a few opinions, but I want to get your take on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I like it. It's it, it sort of struck me as almost like, a, especially with the, the the sort of political lyrics that they have, mm-hmm. uh, it's it reminded me of spiritual healing by death, but like kind of like slower and a little more like brutal or underground sounding. That's exactly what I thought, man. As a matter of fact. You know, it's funny. You should you should actually you kind of like confirmed me because I was I was like thinking if I should reference death, spiritual healing or not before, and you just confirmed that for me. And I was gonna say it reminds me of bands maybe like Obituary, maybe Cyanide from uh, Chicago. Uh, yeah, you that, know the, that the, like kind of late eighties, early nineties, like slow. Yes, we, death metal, or even for a New York reference, Winter. Yeah. You know, it's that slow. But these guys, even though they played them a little bit slow, they had the riffs, which is where the spiritual healing reference comes in. Mm-hmm. There's a definite death metal riff-focused um, uh, element to the to the composition going on. You know, you just have to kind of have the patience because the, the songs are drawn out into a very long, doom-influenced format. It's like almost, to me, it's... And and you know the the whole Black Sabbath influence, like like blatantly, you know, letting Black Sabbath influence your riffs and combining that with death metal is a hard road for me. I don't normally like that stuff, but I would say that these guys, in, you know, take that Black Sabbath school of doom and mix it with death metal very convincingly for the time. Yeah. The other story I had about this was that I know. Um, Basile, my shout to Chris Basile, frequent guest of the show, um, and uh, original member of Pyrexia and current to this day member of Pyrexia, um, a good friend of mine. He related to me that at one point he jammed with these guys very, uh, way back in the day when they were searching for a member. I, I, I might've been on base, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, maybe I'll ask him next time he comes on the show. Cause we'll probably have him on eventually. Uh, but the problem, I think, was more that he was trying to do what people would recognize as the old-school Pyrexia sound at that point, which was a more busy technical death metal thing, and Sorrow was very slow and methodical and, you know, doomy. So, um, but I, I do know that that's kind of like an interesting little piece of Long Island death metal lore is that Chris Basile of Pyrexia did jam with Sorrow at one point, 
and just stylistically his brand of busy technical death metal didn't mix with their brand of slow death doom. So you end up with, you know, two great legacies um, right there. You know, actually, uh, it, this I just thought of this, but um, there, I, there's a, a, a flyer kicking around on the internet that's uh, it's for a death show and I think sun- <clears throat> sorry it's for a uh, there's a flyer for like a death show I think it's Sundance out in Bayshore and it was like death winter and uh, apparition which is what sorrow it was their previous uh, incarnation wow and like I mean that was been a, been a ridiculous show yeah, I'm looking it up now, man. And Apparition is like everybody but one of the guitarists uh, who were in Sorrow. And just heavy and slow or mid-paced, everyone. Great band. And you got to wonder what the melting um, uh, the melting pot stylistically was like, especially knowing that they played with Winter and Death before they became Sorrow. That's interesting, man, because we referenced both those bands describing it. And I think uh, isn't Winter also from Long Island? Winter Winter is another one of those bands where I'm not sure if it's a New York City band with with some roots maybe in Long Island or otherwise, but definitely a local band in some regards. Somebody maybe we should reach out to those guys because I know they had reformed um, not so long ago, several years ago. They played Maryland Death Fest at least. Dude, I like Trevor and I actually went to see them. They opened for Sleep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's probably going to be 10 years ago at this point, but, um, fuck in hell, dude, what a good show. Yeah. Yeah. Winter. That's, an, that's another band that Trevor was like way ahead of the curve on. He was like, you know, digging that, that, uh, into darkness record, like in like 95, 96, way before, like they kind of had their resurgence. Yeah. Yeah, that's one I was late on the curve. I wasn't always a big Doom guy, man. But um, uh, but you know, looking at the list we got, um, the the next thing I wanted to talk about was one that you and I agreed on today: Suffocation's album "Souls to Deny." Yeah, great that is. Yeah, that's a good album. It's really uh, it's a. It, I'm gonna let you intro it, man. <laughs> well. All I'm going to say is that I have referenced this on the podcast before. People who know um, uh, what I'm getting at with with, with this. um, Souls to Deny, not, in my opinion, the most uh, well-regarded album anyway, because people always want to talk about Effigy of the Forgotten. They want to talk about Breeding the Spawn or Pierced from Within. Um, But Souls to Deny from 2004 was kind of a big comeback album for them. Uh, you know, they put out that Despise the Sun in 1998, and then people didn't hear from them for the better part of five years. And they come back revamped with Mike Smith on drums once again. Guy Marche, who was originally a longtime OG member of Suffocation before they recorded their first album. Uh, um, but he went on to, to be in Pyrexia during that period. He comes back to the fold. Uh, and you just have this the, the purity to me of this album is in the writing. It's just Mike Smith on drums, Terrence Hobbs with Guy Marche, one of the original guitarists who had left before they kind of rose to prominence 
on the writing and on the bass playing. Um, Mike Smith also contributing to the bass playing. And, of course, Frank Mullen on vocals. So this, to me, speaks to sometimes the listeners know I talk about albums that only have two or three members, and there's a kind of purity to the songwriting that's streamlined because of that. This, to me, is the same thing. You have, the like, this is the bass um, uh, of suffocation. This is just like the bare essentials of suffocation, and it's a suffocation album through and through. I would also say I feel like this is just this is just my uh, pontification, my my daydreaming about this album while I was listening to it. But I felt like it captured all the classic elements of Long Island brutal death metal that Suffocation pioneered. Um, uh, but it also experimented a little bit with black metal, I think, with some of the more dark, atmospheric, kind of sweeping guitar parts, the chordy parts. I, I was know. just, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like, there's a couple of instances where I'm, like, listening to a riff, and I was like, oh, that that chord progression or whatever sounds like like an, like an emperor riff or something like that. Yeah, 100%. But, uh, 100%. I'm glad you backed me up on that, man. That's what I was going to say, and... Just, you know, to reinforce the idea that Guy Marche comes back on their fourth album, their fourth full-length album, even though he was one of the OG founding members of the band, I always said in the past it sounds like he had something to prove, man, because that songwriting is, is catchy and it's off the meat rack. It's crazy, man, fresh. And, well, and it's, it's, I'm sorry. Go it's, ahead. Go ahead. Take it. I was going to say, it's, it's like they there's tons of, like, suffocation signature parts riffs drum beats and everything but they also there is like that sort of like you know they threw in some curveballs like that 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 first song um deceit when it starts i remember like the first time i heard it i was like what the fuck is going on like where like where is this going and then like you know it's (laughs) it it it, it, it is a suffocation song but like the way it kind of builds up and everything like it doesn't sound it doesn't start the way suffocation songs tend to start so it was a little uh you know it was a surprise Uh, yeah man it's you know what it doesn't sound like a sequel to any other out like like you know some people want them to do effigy of the forgotten two some people want them to do in fact you know breeding the spawn two or whatever to me it sounded like the perfect uh, some of the brutality of Effigy of the Forgotten, but the experimentation of breeding the spawn um, and pierced from within that, that that people love so much. And it was captured with great state-of-the-art production for 2004. And like I said, I just felt like Mike Smith and Guy Marche maybe were hungry to reestablish themselves within the franchise. And other than those two guys, you have Terrence Hobbs and... Frank Mullen, the most, you know, um, uh, identifiable guys, you know, within the franchise, you know, holding it down. So it's just such a pure suffocation album that doesn't come in, uh, come up in conversation as much as the original three. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that um, they, when, when they were writing the songs, they were like, you know, we're suffocation, we're going to write a suffocation album. But they also... They, they, they're not like looking backwards, like trying to reference previous albums. Yeah. Great point. When they're writing, you know, it's like however long it passed, like five, six, seven years between Despise the Sun and this. And there was like, they listened to music 
and like gained other influences in that time span and sort of like brought it into their their writing style and you know it, it shows it's like it's good it's definitely a suffocation album but like and it was a great i guess comeback debut i don't well, know what you would uh well, I have the I, I little flex here. I do have the the vinyl reissue that came out a few years ago, and the the sticker says uh, a comeback album. So we can officially call okay. it a comeback album. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was because I, if I remember correctly, they I guess broke up or went on hiatus. I think after Despise the Sun. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, about if that. memory serves, uh, it was like an actual breakup. Yeah, like I, I don't, I don't remember the, um, the uh, like why they did it, but it was just sort of like, you know, they did despise the sun. They played some shows, and they were just like, yeah, we're we're done, we're out. Like I don't know if it was like, just had stuff going on, if they were just like lacked inspiration, whatever. But they just, uh, you know, it, and there was no talk of like, oh, it's a. We're putting on pause. We'll come back in a few years when death metal is popular again. It was just, uh, <laughs> you know, because like, nobody thought like that. in like, whatever it was, 1998, there was like, oh, in, in 10 years when death metal is cool again, we're going to come back out of the uh, out of the woodwork. But uh, well, they sure did. Yeah. Well, another album. Let's while we're talking about. Um... Uh, going back to that time period, when despise I believe despise the sun, the sun was ninety nine or ninety eight. When 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 suffocation kind of fell off uh, or broke up in the late nineties, internal bleeding was having their big run in the late nineties. Um, they recorded extinction of benevolence and Frank Rini left shortly thereafter. Ryan Scamenti of Disfigure took over on vocals for a short period of time, and we'll talk about Disfigure in a few minutes. But first, we want to talk about Internal Bleeding's Driven to Conquer album um, that came out on Pavement Music in 1999, which had Ray Lebron, of uh, longtime singer of Immortal Suffering, uh, recently left the band, um, replaced by Jordan. Shout out to Jordan. Um, a, a, a longtime member of uh, Mortal Suffering, Ray Lebron, singing on this album, which, by the way, here's something, Dave. I looked it up. Internal Bleeding, if I'm not mistaken, according to Metal Archives, Internal Bleeding has never had a, a, a vocalist sing on more than one recording other than Frank Rini. That's actually really funny. <laughs> I, I believe that I believe that's true. Frank Rini sang on Voracious Contempt and Extinction of Benevolence, which if I can say this, if no vocalist has sang on more than one recording, if there's someone who's maybe sang on a compilation song and a demo or a compilation song and an album, and I'm technically wrong on that, there's definitely no vocalist that has sang on two full length albums. Frank Re so Frank Rini yeah. is like the most consistent vocalist. Yeah. That's wild. I, 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 yeah, uh, that's now that I think about that, I think you're right. Uh, I forget, I, I forget the name of the uh, the first singer, the dollar demo guy was, but well, back in the day, I know you had uh, Eric Wigger, that's the guy, yeah, yeah, on the, the one dollar demo. Uh, then it's Wallace Milton, you got it, yeah, Wallace Milton. 
Then Bill Bill Tolley, the drummer, rest in peace, sang on um, uh, the next, the EP. Then you got Frank Rini for two albums. And then you get Ryan Scamanti live. Ryan Scamanti never recorded anything with him. And then Ray Lebron on Driven to Conquer, the album that we wanted to discuss. And what makes Driven to Conquer special, you got... Um, uh, the um, the OG bass player of Internal Bleeding, Brian Hobby, uh, who I believe is still working with Mortiferoth currently nowadays of Queens. Yep, great band. Um, Brian Hobby on bass, Bill Tolley, rest in peace, on drums, Chris Prevellis on guitar, and Guy Marche, who we just talked about. Now, Guy Marche is an interesting guy. All transparency, I've had a dialogue with him. Um, I, you know, uh, we don't know if we can get him on the podcast eventually. Maybe things will work out, maybe not. Uh, but big shout out to him regardless. I have a lot of respect for his work. And um, uh, Guy Marche, found, one of the founding members of both Suffocation and Pyrexia, works with Pyrexia on Sermon of Mockery, uh, I believe Hatred, Anger, and Disgust, um, and, and maybe an, another album. And then eventually lands himself in internal bleeding in the late 90s to help write this album, Driven to Conquer. Um, now, Dave, we were talking a little bit. Don't you have, like, like, you used to hang out at the A-Room rehearsal studios in Hicksville, New York, where this album was written, did you not? Uh, I did, yeah. I was, I was uh, fortunate enough to be, like, a sort of hangers, hanger-on uh of that that kind of scene at the time i was friendly with uh jay liff who was the he, he played bass on for internal bleeding on the imperium album uh so like he was i guess pretty tight with those guys and i just happened to have a car <laughs> so <laughs> so like like you know he'd be like oh hey dave you want to go to the go to the a room tonight i'd be like fuck yeah dude like go to the a room smoke pot watch internal bleeding disfigured and or repudiation jam hang out with those guys it was a dream but uh but yeah like like yeah, I, I was it was it was pretty wild like just kind of being there while they were recording that album just like watching these songs uh come to fruition it was really um guy like you know chris Prevellis is like second to none when it comes to, to to riff writing, but like Guy Marche is like a like a a monster on his own level. He's just like like a wizard. It's like amazing watching him play. A hundred percent. I think that's one of the points we're driving home talking about Souls to Deny by Suffocation and then transitioning into Driven to Conquer by Internal Bleeding. He's the missing link there. Um, and for all these people who who ape uh, Pyrexia's Sermon of Mockery album, rightfully so, and earlier Pyrexia albums, Guy Marche is a missing link to uh, all of those. And we'll talk about another person who's probably the only other person who's been in all those three iconic bands as well later. Um, but yeah, Guy Marche on Driven to Conquer, um, a really amazing album that maybe doesn't get as much shine as Voracious Contempt or more recent work by Internal Bleeding, but is worth a shot. They actually... Um, just some notes I took about the album. They do a really cool rendition of Inhuman Suffering on that album with great production and kind of a, uh, you know, just a different tone um, between the production and the vocals and the different members involved uh, from that classic song. That was one of the things, the, 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 the production that I, I was really happy for them when, the, when the, I heard the album for the first time. I was like, you know, they're all their stuff has been great, but Grace's attempt as a, 
a real fucking weird, shitty production. Extinction of Benevolence has, it's like better, but it's still a little weird sounding, like kind of thin in the guitars. But like Driven to Conquer was just a great sounding album. It was just, it was like super clean. You could hear every instrument. It was like, I was so happy that they got like a really good, solid production on that one. And it was like a good, like really good songs. They were kind of like really kind of stepped up their, uh, I don't know. Fuck. God damn it. Stepped up their game. They stepped up their production game, man. And I was going to say, that's the first album where they went out to Chicago, well, to Illinois. Anyway. I'm not going to say Chicago, but they went out to Qualitone Studios in Illinois, and the album was produced by Broken Hope's Brian Griffin. Yeah, and uh, interesting note, because um, Disfigured also recorded there, and that was why Brian Hobby and Brian Scamenti played on the that Broken Hope album. Grotesque Blessings, sir. Yeah, yes. because he... Because he recorded both of those guys and he was just like, these guys are incredibly capable musicians and we need a bass player to play on, on this album. So they were like, you know, he just, I guess he called those guys up. It's like, can you come and, you know, do this? Exactly. That's something I've talked about too. How the, see, that's the, that's the key right there is that driven to conquer by IB broken hopes, grotesque blessings album and uh, Disfigured, something we're going to get into, their prelude to Dementia, were all recorded Qualitone Studios by Brian Griffin. And you're absolutely... Now, I didn't you know, exactly realize the connection there. You probably have more insight than I do, knowing those guys. But yeah, Broken Hope um, called up Brian Hobby and Ryan Scamenti to, to perform bass on those albums in different parts, man. Um, really cool album, Grotesque Blessings, for those reasons. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, it was kind of funny, like, I mean, again, being like a fly in the wall when this was happening. Uh, I guess, like, Brian Griffin was just sort of like, hey, here are the songs. You know, decide amongst yourselves who's going to record what or play on what album, on what song. So, like, you hear that, like, I, I guess like, I kind of watched that. I, I didn't watch them, like, play the songs or anything, but they were sort of like, there was that deliberation. Like I said, like, Oh, I'll, I'll play this one. I'll play that one. Oh, this, this part's hard. Like, can you handle that? Like <laughs> it, it was like, just like a very, um, you know, it, like interesting, fun kind of thing to witness. Yeah. Well, this feels like a good time where maybe we could, um, uh, recommend internal bleedings driven to conquer album. Um, with the, with the, with it be having the distinction of being the one album with co-writing by Guy Marche, the guitarist who um, uh, helped found Pyrexia and Suffocation. Um, also, not, not for nothing, but really, really tasty bass licks by uh, Brian Hobby. 100%. A by Brian Hobby undercredited uh, in death metal um, history, in my opinion. He's, um, he's uh, hands down my favorite uh, death metal bass player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and um, I feel like, like I was saying, there's a good part where we might be able to transition from that album Driven to Conquer to... Disfigured's Prelude to Dementia EP, which unfortunately was the uh, culmination of their catalog after their paroxysm demo. Yeah, that they could have really, I mean, I'm sure they could have gone someplace if they they would have kept going. I I don't know, I can't remember what the reason was for why they broke up, but like they had like a very interesting songwriting style and 
you know, but uh, yeah, they, they gave us the music they gave us. It was all good stuff. You know, I, I love the demo. I love the split with the uh, repudiation written. Uh, Prelude to Dementia was a, uh, a great album as well. I saw them play. I don't even know how many times. They were always good. Nice guys. Oh, yeah, of course. And then at the end when Joe Riley, formerly of Repudiation, joined Disfigured on vocals for Prelude to, to Dementia. Um, I felt like that that was a real culmination too. Ryan Scamenti sat back and just did bass, maybe did a couple of backup vocals sometimes, and they had a, a full-time vocalist. Um, they really, especially once once Gorguts broke through with Obscura, once Cryptopsy became a big, more mainstream type of thing, uh, Gore, you know, Disfigured might have had more room for, for a mainstream audience, man. Unfortunately, they didn't keep going, but what an amazing band. And I've described them in the past as a band that came up underneath the tutelage, maybe, of Internal Bleeding, because I've talked before about how Internal Bleeding, you mentioned Repudilation. Um, you know, there was Repudilation and, and Disfigured uh, playing a lot of shows supporting Internal Bleeding at that time when Suffocation was not around anymore or, or was uh, at least not as active anymore. And Internal Bleeding was like the big honcho on Long Island. And um, Repudilation and Disfigured were like seen as these kind of bands coming up underneath that scene. Disfigured really, in a way, surpassed the masters and took Long Island-style groove-oriented death metal and made it more technical than I, th- than I think it had ever been and also made it more groove-oriented than, say, Suffocation, who was very technically capable. Yeah, they definitely... I, I feel like they, they have a bit more like of a speed element. Uh the songs I t- tended to be more like, I guess, fast or blasting with the like groove riffs, mosh riffs, whatever you want to call them. But it was like, it was different. It was like this strange, like kind of melodic slash technical riffing. And, you know, uh, they just like, whatever they were doing, whatever they were drinking, huh. it worked. You know, it was just, it was a, a great mix. It's really kind of a bummer that none of the guys in the band did anything after Disfigured. That's it's you know it would have been interesting to see like where they could have gone. I know, man. None of those guys. And you're right. You know, I gotta look back. Looking back, I gotta imagine that maybe they might have been influenced in some way by Cryptopsy changing the game on drumming at oh, the time. Hands down, definitely. I um. I, I kind of, I mean, I, I don't remember like any specific like things, but like I sort of, I, I, I still remember when Nuns of Vile kind of hit. Like, in like everyone was kind of like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> the, like, it, it, like, they like raised the bar. Yeah. And you could kind of like, not that it was like, like an overt thing, but you could sort of like tell when bands like, had like we're coming up with new material like oh yeah you're like <clears throat> they were like sort of trying to like keep up a little bit you know like like it, it had influenced their songwriting or their playing in some way or another not not they were like trying to like you know like wank on 
uh, cryptops or anything, but they were just like, they were like, oh shit, we need to like up our game a little bit. Well, I, I feel like it affected drummers more than anyone. Yeah. Like there were probably a lot of guitarists and vocalists and bass players playing cryptopsy for their drummer and their drummer being like, what do you want me to do, man? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, that was yeah, that, that, that was really a, a big leap for a lot of drummers. Cause like, I think previously there was like a handful of drummers that could play like that. Like, like flow, like, like Alex Hernandez when he was in, uh, like Fallen Christ was really fast, like stupid. Oh, yeah, fast. yeah. Uh, the guy from Malicious Hate. Um, yeah, Malicious Hate, uh, Malicious Hate, and the original drummer Brutal Truth are the two that always come to my mind. Yeah, th- those were the guys that like what, what you were like, like besides like like say like a Pete Sandoval or something like that. But like when you're like underground death metal, like who's fast? It's like those guys were fast. I'm sure there are other guys that I'm, I'm not thinking of, but like. But then flow kind of came with like, and kind of blew everybody's hair back, and it was like, oh shit! Now we all have to like kind of up our game. And disfigured was an early example of that because they were trying to blend that technical, fast blurst blasting style with Long Island internal bleeding groove style. But I think they did so so effectively, man. Like you said, a real shame, and a band that truly is deserving of this reissue treatment that's going on nowadays. That that EP, the demo, and the material from the split with Reputilation would be a perfect little reissue package. I, I do agree. Like it, it does seem like they had a a uh, some kind of discography release, but I always get bummed out by these uh, posthumous sort of uh, discographies where it doesn't seem like anybody in the band had any sort of say in the release. Like, they just sort of like okayed for somebody else to do it. And it's like a really cheap kind of whack. Like, you know, like, I'm looking at the, uh, the, dis- the, the disfigured one. It's like the cover is kind of stupid and there's no... Uh, Wait, there, there was a disfigured discography? Yeah, it's called Analog Anthology Wait. of Dementia, according to um, uh, Encyclopedia Metallum. I want to look it up on on a Discogs because I feel like a lot of like they have sometimes they have photos of the actual release. Now, wait, now now you're catching me off guard with something. Hold on. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. It was Lord of the Sick Recordings. Who the fuck is that? From Ru- oh, it's, dude, it's from Russia. Who the fuck knows what's going on with this? Yeah, some guy from Russia put out a CD, bro. I... It's kind of bunk. All right, look, shout to everybody from Russia listening, all right? I'm not trying to say nothing. All I'm trying to say is that if you got a hold of the members of Disfigured to get the okay on this, tell them I want to interview them too, man. All right? That's all I'm going to say, buddy. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not hating at all. It, it, it's just like... It's a, it's a general gripe of mine where it's not. There's no like extra like kind of oomph. Where there's no like yeah. it's like oh there's here's photos I haven't seen or anything. Okay. Like that. like, like uh, I mean, relapse like totally fucked up the human remains discography when they put it out. It was like such a terrible uh, layout. The photos were like you needed a microscope to see them. Mm, mm, okay. All right, I kind of see what you mean now. Like you saying you want it to be more of like a total package type of thing. Well, like, you know, like, like have some information. 
Yeah. I don't. Well, you know, like, like, have like give it a look, like give people a reason to buy it that isn't you know if they have like a couple of the releases ready. Yeah, all right, fair enough, man. Um, fair warning, because I'm always bigging up certain old school things that I think deserve a reissue. Um, I gotta say, I enjoyed that torture crypt reissue that I was just talking to you about before. I thought yeah. they did a good job on that. Um, but yeah, fair enough. No, this disfigured reissue is news to me, and I, I'm gonna admit it looks a little sketch. But I also am gonna admit that I'm gonna be looking it up on Discogs and eBay. So, um, but but move moving on from here. Let's let's keep it pushing from here because now it's getting it's now it's getting more underground than I like. Um, one more classic Long Island thing that's somewhat on the topic and revisits some of the stuff we've been talking about. I want to big up the vocalist Keith DeVito, who is, other than, do you know this factoid? Other than Guy Marche, who we've talked about, Keith DeVito is the only uh, artist to have spent time in internal bleeding, suffocation, and pyrexia. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. I did. I, I I knew that. Yeah, there's no one else, man. It's Guy Marche and Keith DeVito. Now, Keith DeVito um, was uh, joined Pyrexia after Sermon of Mockery. Um, did the, uh, an EP and an album with them. Uh, filled in um, for Suffocation at some point live. Filled in for Obituary Live, uh, which is impressive to say. And winded up in internal bleeding for a few years and recorded the album Imperium with him. The reason we want to bring him up as a specific artist, because we talked about some of these Long Island uh, uh, recordings that don't get as much play. I feel like Keith DeVito deserves a little bit more respect on his name as a uh, Long Island death metal musician, because people always say Pyrexia, Sermon of Mockery. Every, dude, Basile talked about it when we interviewed him. Every Pyrexia album that ever came out... It's it's not sermon of mockery. It's not sermon of mockery. You know what I'm saying? But uh, so Keith Devito was a little overshadowed there. Then he comes in. He has the balls to fill in for obituary live. Has the balls to fill in for suffocation live, respectively. When on Frank Mullen or John Tardy couldn't make a performance or a tour, um, uh, and then comes in an internal bleeding for Imperium, a big comeback album at a time when people weren't sure if internal bleeding was still back. And Imperium, I feel, is an underrated album. And can I get your input a little bit on that? Uh, I, I think Keith DeVito is a great singer. I've, I, I mean, like I said, I he was the first, like the Hatred, Anger, Disgust was the first Pyrexia album I ever heard. And I saw them live. Uh it, you know, opening for death, and you know, he's he's great. I think that his voice fits that material. It's like really fast and technical. It's, it's not as, I guess, like chunky and bassy as uh, the Sermon of Mockery material. But like, I, I think he's got a great voice. He's got a, like a, an interesting range. You know, like I, I think his his singing works more on Imperium than it would have worked on like, say like a, like an earlier internal bleeding mm -hmm. release. Yeah. Cause they sort of like, they sped up a little bit starting with driven to Concord and moving forward. Like they kind of, not that they couldn't like blast or grind or anything, but like they just sort of like the songs had like the, the overall pace 
of the song kind of like became a little faster. So like it, it kind of like it fits his vocal style in a way. So I, I mean, I think like I, 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 like, I have videos like VHS videos of him like performing with suffocation huh. in like the late nineties. And I'm like, there's like, unfortunately, you know, like he's got, he's, he's a great singer, but like Frank Mullen was one of those people that you just can't, you can't like fill those shoes, but it's like rude as hell. Like, cause I like in the video, I see people like, they're like chanting like Frank and like, it's like, but, uh, you know, he's a good singer. I think he's a great singer. Uh, you know, and he's pretty damn unique in this day and age, the way like most singers are. 300%. Um, that you, yeah, you touched on a lot of things there, and that's why I wanted to bring him up specifically. Uh, we interviewed Chris Prevelis of Internal Bleeding. Like I said, we've had Chris Basile on here a number of times, and Basile spoke at length, uh, at least the first time we had him on, about the distinctive difference in sound after Sermon of Mockery and the reasons for that. Um, and Keith DeVito, in my eyes, probably... I would be willing to say, if not the one, probably one of like the top three or top five, however you want to put it, vocalists in the history of crossover death metal and hardcore, probably predating deathcore in a lot of ways. Because he did something really original, man. He never went super guttural. He never. He actually went for pronunciation. He pronounced his words. If, if you ask me, he, he sounds a little bit more like Chuck from Death or more like some of the Florida guys uh, than like your typical Long Island vocalist. Like you say, Frank Mullen, especially on Human Waste and Effigy, more of a guttural, unpronounceable vocalist, whereas Keith DeVito went for a style that was probably more marketable to the hardcore audience in certain ways than to the death metal audience. He went left when other people went right in a certain sense. Um, not only that, his wordplay, he crammed a lot of lyrics into a small amount of time. He was not shy about memorizing lyrics or breath control. I have to admit, now here's my insight. I, people know that I filled in for Pyrexia, especially in 2018, uh, I did a tour and a, f a few one-off little appearances with them where their uh, vocalist Jim Beach couldn't appear with them. And I learned a range of material from their catalog, including a few songs where Keith DeVito had originally sang them. And I watched videos on YouTube of Keith DeVito performing with uh, Pyrexia during his original run with them. That man had amazing breath control an amazing control over his voice at that time. There are things that I just could not match, to be perfectly honest. I did my best. Um, but the amount of words and syllables that that man could spit out of his mouth, I like, if you go back and listen to the those Pyrexia, I believe it's, um, I have his metal archives. It's Hatred, Anger, Disgust, and System of the Animal are the Pyrexia albums he performed on. Um, and we'll get into the later stuff, but if you go back and listen to that, I doubt that he had a lot of overdubs in the studio because I've watched live videos and he was capable of just spitting out those constant barrages of vocals and words that you could hear pronunciated. You could, you could understand a lot of the lyrics from those albums, man. It's very impressive. He was like the, the, the bone thugs and harmony of Long Island death metal, the way he like was just able to like the speed 
Bing bong. He was able to like kind of just you know, yeah. spit lyrics, whatever. But yeah. Bing bong. Thank you. You just you just reframed it in a whole different way for me. But that's a hundred percent what I'm trying to say is that and you know, I'll be I'll be um a hundred percent because I used to be for many years one of those people who was a little bit turned off by the pitch because I wanted deep guttural death metal vocals of his voice. Um and maybe some of the more hardcore nuances and overtones of his delivery, but but nowadays, especially after trying to learn some of the songs that he wrote the vocal patterns for, I have such a deep respect for that guy as a vocalist. And then you get into Catastrophic. Dave, are you familiar with the Catastrophic catalog? Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, uh, that, that's... that. Dude, they, they practice at the A-Room. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, so you know better than me, because that's a band that kind of evolved from the Keith DeVito era of Pyrexia. And um, I know Brian Hobby from Internal Bleeding was very involved, and it was mainly, it was Trevor from Obituary, right? Yeah. Did they ever practice in, in the A-Room with Trevor? Did you get to meet him? I did. He's uh, He was a nice guy, you know, southern accent, sounding <laughs> very polite, you know, cool guy. I, I'm trying to think. I'm pretty sure they, they did practice there, but he, they at least hung out there, if not actually practice. But, uh, you know, it, it was like, it was kind of cool, that first album, because you could really tell which songs were like Chris Steel songs and which songs were Trevor uh, Perez songs, because it was like, like one side sounded like uh, Pyrexia, and the other one was Obituary, obviously, but... It was, you know, it was a, I, I think they were fucking great. They were so underrated for, like, you know, unfortunately, they, they, like, they were kind of like a super group, I guess, but not, but, like, in a, in a weird time when that kind of stuff wasn't really valued, where, like, no one cared about Obituary or Pyrexia. Yeah, well, it was the 2000s, really, because they put out yeah. the, the Cleansing in 2001, Born into Bondage EP in 2005 and Pathology of Murder in 2008. And that was a weird time for death metal, man. It was a weird yeah. time for those early 90s guys trying to survive, man. That was like the metalcore era. And I got to recommend that the listeners go back to Catastrophic and revisit that because it's really good material from true OGs of death metal. It's a super group. Here's another thing. It was before a death metal supergroup was really a marketable thing. Nowadays, if you get a bunch of these guys together, like we just had, shout to Sonny Lombardozzi of Arise from Worms, whose new album features uh, Steve Tucker from Morbid Angel on vocals and Flo Monier from Cryptopsy on drums. Nowadays, a supergroup is a very popular thing, but in that era of the early 2000s, people weren't really feeling it. Yeah, uh, I feel like in those... Uh like the, the, the aughts, the, the early 2000s, whatever it was, it was more the, there was a, a, a real divide between the underground and like the, I guess the more mainstream bands like the, who was big then, like Morbid Angel or Crisian or like uh, Cryptopsy, that kind of stuff. And like Pyrexia was an underground band. Uh, Obituary was like an old school band. Maybe, I, I don't know if their like cred held up or anything like that, but maybe that was why it kind of didn't get the uh, 
you know the sort of credit that it was due but i mean like i, I love that first album i have it on cd and vinyl and i sold them a lot too yeah no catastrophic under underrated long island history um and florida death metal history really including trevor man um, and I think you're right. I just feel like the time period was not friendly to them, although they left behind a great little catalog there. And we got onto this topic of catastrophic originally by talking about Keith DeVito, the vocalist, which that catastrophic catalog is a great place to really see what he did when he stretched. And the last time we officially see Keith DeVito make an appearance um, uh, is in his run in Internal Bleeding, uh, in the early 2010s, 2011 to 2016 officially, and he records the album Imperium with Internal Bleeding, which I revisited today. Now, I'm going to be um, transparent with the listeners and with you. When Imperium first came out, I, I wanted to, I bought it, I still own it, I wanted to like it, I tried to listen to it, and it didn't stick to me. I revisited it today, and I did really enjoy it. I was able to really enjoy that album and get something good out of it today. Maybe it was because I was on this Keith DeVito vocal kick, um, but I also appreciated that it had Brian Hobby on guitar for a switch. Um, I th- Jay Liff was on bass on that, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, and just something about it, it strikes me as a classic internal bleeding album that floated under the radar and with Keith DeVito doing exactly what people know him for. Yeah, I, I was actually, I was very happy uh, when that album came out because I liked Driven to Conquer. I sort of lost whatever they were going for with um, Onward to Mecca, whatever stuff they were doing in that interim. And then they, I think they broke up for a while and stuff. But like when they came back, I was like, I was stoked that it was like, you know, Brian Hobby, Chris Propellis, Bill Tolley. And I was like, fucking awesome. And uh, they put, like, the album was just great. It was like, they, they, they returned to the, the original style, if you will. But they like, they also sort of like kept the, I guess like the, the, the driven to conquer sort of like stuff where they were like building up the speed. And I, I actually never heard uh, Onward to Mecca. So I, I can't say how that really? sound infected them. No, I, I just sort of, for whatever reason, like it was like during a weird time when I was, I think, I think I was like, just didn't have a lot of money. Huh. So I was like, I, it just never, when it came out, I just, I, I, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> I was like, you know, focusing on other stuff or whatever like that. But like, I, so I it just sort of like totally slept on it. I saw, I actually saw them a lot with Jerry Lowe as the singer. Yeah. But I just never actually bought the album when it came out. That's interesting because Onward to Mecca would have actually been the most profitable investment you could have made in buying internal bleeding albums. And who's the, the guitar player? Uh, uh, his name Mitz, uh, Frank. Uh, I gotta look it up. Sorry. Yeah, on onward to Mecca by Internal Bleeding uh, is one of my like. Go, I go to Discogs every once in a while, and if I allegedly go to eBay and look for a bootleg every once in a while because it's so pricey up there, man. 
It's crazy. It really? Oh, dude, you cannot find Onward to Mecca anywhere. And it's no. a, it's yeah, man. And it's you know, it's obviously got a, got a little bit of a controversial album cover and title. Um, and it's the one album that uh, Chris Prevelis wasn't involved in. Uh, I, I believe, or wasn't on yeah. uh, recording. So I, I guess I don't know if you're going to see a reissue of that. Frank Buffalino, the uh, the guitar player. What the fuck? Is, we, his name was like we, we called him like Mitch or Hands or Gloves or something. But like <laughs> he like he was in a, a band with my friend uh, before he was in Internal Bleeding. So I just knew him. And I was like, oh shit, cool. He's in Internal Bleeding now. But like, yeah, like. Uh, yeah, I, I, for whatever reason, I, I just like I wasn't. Uh, they put it out, and it just it, it just kind of like it flew under my radar. I wasn't like I think I was just broke. You know, I was probably like fresh out of college and just didn't have money to buy CDs or something like that. So I I, I, I just missed the boat on it. And but uh, but yeah, like. Well, it, sure it's fine. You, you know, Matt Ferraro, I think, wrote a lot of that album from Reputilation. Yeah, no, I, I see his name there, and I'm like yeah. kind of bummed now that I uh, that I missed out on it. But uh, but yeah, well, like, that guy Jerry was cool as far as I could tell. I, I saw him at a lot of shows. We did we would do the Wall of Death, uh-huh. like, and, and he would incite it. He'd be like, like for other bands, not even for Internal Bleeding, like we'd be at like the Ohio Death Fest, and he'd just be like. Like he'd like tap me on the shoulder and be like, "Oh, we're gonna do the wall of death." I was like, "All right," and, you know, we just fucking do it. Like, like run towards the front of the stage. This could be a good place to transition to my last uh, little like Long Island topic, Dave. I've had you on a long time. I appreciate your candor. Um, I wanted to. Uh, uh, we have a long list here, and maybe we could get to it another time. But the the thing I really want to address before we get out of here is the bearded fetus slash entorchment era. Um, for those who don't know, Bearded Fetus was an obscure Long Island grindcore band that when they broke up, I believe it was Brian Wishin from Reputilation joined and they became Entorturement. Yeah, no, I, I could. Uh, Bearded Fetus was. I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta restart. Because um, believe it or not, Bearded Fetus is from my town. And like Trevor actually knew them huh. before they were bearded fetus. They were in this other band called Abhorrent. Abhorrent. Uh, which I don't know anything about really, but it was like a death metal band. But they, the drummer quit and like the other guys wanted a jam. I'm sorry. Are you still rolling? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, so the drummer of Abhorrent quit. Dale Magna and the rest of the guys, I, I guess, decided to like they, they couldn't find a drummer, so the guitar player Pete started playing drums, and he started this stupid fucking joke band, Bearded Fetus, and that's like, you know, they did that. They they recorded a demo. They played a bunch of shows. I guess they reputation broke up, uh, you know, and. They were like fun to hang out with, so uh, Brian Wishin, <laughs> huh. uh, you know, like joined them, and they and, and then I guess after all, I, they definitely played shows with Brian Wishin as Bearded Fetus, huh. but I think they like 
like they were like after a while they were kind of like we are actually good musicians and we should be playing like real music and they got like so you know, they, so they did entorchment <laughs> well yeah yeah like, like, so like but like yeah because they're all like they're good fucking musicians like they, they know what they're doing but like they were playing like this stupid fucking joke music just like for the sake of doing something yeah and then they were just kind of like oh shit now we have brian wishing on drums like let's like let's let's like do a different band and like not do bearded fetus anymore but like so but yeah like it was uh yeah yeah it torturement um <laughs> i got so frustrated because i went on discogs this i'm gonna read you word for word my notes out of my notebook here on bearded fetus slash entorturement entorturement Crazy on Discogs, what the fuck, even the reissue, almost bought a tape from Indonesia for $30, real stupid, feel real stupid whenever OG Long Island shit I don't have is expensive, because th- this and the long and the internal bleeding onward to Mecca are CDs that I probably could have bought 10 times over at shows I went to back in the days but didn't. I wish I had that Entorchment album now. Yeah, I, I the the whole collector culture around, uh, just like New York specifically, but like death metal in general is like I, just, I I have the like Entorchment put out. Well, t- to start, I, I have the the bearded fetus demo, which I can't show you because we're not on video. Uh, I have the Entorchment CD. Descend into depravity. I got it when it came out. That could put and your I kids. Got, that could put your kids through college. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, dude. I got a story about a devourment demo. I will tell you when we're not recording. But um, <laughs> I got this the entorchment uh, decryption promo tape, which I found out on the like a, a Facebook group. There's like a, an alternate cover, like the one that I have is like it's like black with like a white print on it. It's like what I guess white on black, and there's also one that's like black on white. So like all the the record collecting idiots, they want to have one of each, <laughs> and it's a two fucking song rehearsal tape. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the. The white on the, the black on white doesn't sound different than the black on white cover art, but they gotta have it. And but uh, but yeah, and then I got the the um, you know the 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 compilation when they broke up, which was a bummer. Yeah, I was uh, I was looking at that. The cheapest way to go is to buy a thirty dollar cassette of it from Indonesia, bro. I I'm not ready to pull the plug on that. There, I, yeah, no, it, it, it's it's really like unfortunate that that's like the uh, the economy of death metal these days, where like you can't even get a uh, like you can't even like listen to the tunes unless it's like on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's true, man. We well, we we did look it up. Um, actually. Yeah, most of the stuff that we talk about, I try to make sure is available at least on YouTube or something, just so the listeners aren't completely in the dark about some of the obscure things. By the way, yeah, that's it's a good uh, good policy. Yeah, because there's just those things. But also, by the way, Dave, you and I were discussing behind the scenes how there's like 
this certain specific era in the early 2000s of bands that put out CDR demos, but like, oh, they aren't online. They're kind of just forgotten. So we might have to explore that in another episode. Yeah, no, it, it was a, a, a great time. There was like, you know, just like any period, there was great music, but because the CDR was so disposable. Yeah. Yeah. People didn't keep anything. Like they, they would hand them out for free at shows. People would bring them home. They'd listen to them or not listen to them. But then, like you know, they'd end up in a box. They'd throw them out, whatever. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting period. Yeah, shout to disgusting from Massapequa. We'll explore that in the future. <laughs> I really uh, want to hear that band now, dude. I'll, I'll get them. I'll get them to somebody, man. Maybe shout to Tom Meehan from Long Island Metal History, man. Maybe he'll open up the gates for bands after the '90s eventually. But um. Uh, yeah, getting back on topic, I just wanted to breach uh, that entorturement uh, topic a little bit, Dave. I had you a long time. The last band I'm going to bring up before I ask you for your recommendations, like all the guests, uh, something you schooled me on recently. I didn't realize this. The band Azra, A-S-R-A, um, I was able to track down one song on the Grind Show YouTube channel. Other than that, they're a pretty obscure grind band from New York from the early 2000s, but you said that you saw them play live when you were in the communion. Yeah, they were, damn, they were one of those bands that like I I kind of fell in love with seeing them live. Uh, you know, we, we played a bunch of shows with them when I was in the communion, but like I would go and watch them on my own. They were so like they were just so good. Like, like the the guitar player, it was like the original two guys was like. Uh, Monty on guitar and vocals and uh, Andrew on drums and like they got my friend Harris ended up singing for them at some point and they got this uh, bass player that I don't remember his name but like they just it was a, a great interesting mix of music it was like kind of mid-paced sort of obituary style riffing death metal mixed with like west coast power violence and grind just just really good stuff you know i i like a lot of different variations in vocals and like they should have gone farther than they did than they did but like it was just like one of my favorite bands from like the aughts i guess in like the i i guess you would call it like the 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 new york city or brooklyn yeah. scene of uh of death metal like there was honestly in that period before like metal took off again there was so many good bands that just sort of like got lost to the sands of time but uh but yeah like, like azra was just it's like i god damn i fucking love that band they're just like i i can't even say enough good stuff about them yeah asra if you want to look it up for the listeners man definitely worth a shot on youtube i found one song like i said on the grind show youtube channel if you want to check that out man now um, and you know, Dave, I've had you on for a long time, man. We talked about most of our main topics. We still have a little bit left on the list. Hopefully we can explore that in the future. I appreciate your time. And like all guests, I'm going to ask you as we wind down to recommend one older album and one newer album by any artists you like metal or otherwise and Long Island or otherwise I should add too. God damn it. You know, like I would like listen to, to, to the show and be like, man, I wonder what I would pick if I was like ever asked to like, to choose this, like to, 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 uh, to do this thing. And uh, I'm trying to think like what, I, cause I'm always like a year or two behind on like 
literally everything when it comes to like new stuff. Yeah. I hear so you. So I'm stuff. like, what the fuck? Can I, for the new one, I'm going to list. What's the parameters? Is, is is three years old? Too old? Nah, go for it. All right. Um, I'm going to go with the the band Necroleptic. Hmm. And the release is Crash Syndrome. Okay. And it's a, a Gorgrind band. I think they're from Japan. And a lot of their stuff I'm not really into. It, it's a, a, a lot of their stuff is like more a little like leans a little bit more like carcass worship. But this particular release, like it's like a a two or three song uh, single. It's just really brutal sounding, good gore grind. It doesn't. It's it's not like worshipy one way or the other on any style. It's just like really. It's just good. Like it's it, it just like crushes heavy you know I, I i i don't know how i got the cd honestly like I, it just it must have shown up as an extra in like when i ordered from some distro or something like that but like i found it and i was like oh i wonder what this is i put it in the car and i was like it was one of those things where it, it's, it's like a solid five minutes of music but like you listen to it 20 times in a row because it's so good necroleptic huh yeah i, I think they're i i think they're japanese I'm really like not uh, clear on you know their uh, their origins, but uh, damn, it was so good. What was the album? It's called Crash Syndrome, but the like the, the word syndrome does not have an e. It's like syndrome. <laughs> okay, necro. That's and how do you spell necroleptic? Necroleptic is N E C R O L E P. T-I-C. Okay, we're trying to show more love to the gore grind people, man. We got a little complaint about that. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, fuck, dude. It was so good. I, I, I listened to a bunch of their other stuff, and I was like, yeah, this is cool. But, like, that one EP is just, like, it, like, really fucking, like, knocks my socks off. Uh, I got to look that up, man. And then, uh, what is it? Old stuff. God damn it. You know what? Necromortis from uh, from Canada. Okay, they're 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 I think it's like a four or five song EP. It's called Burning Priest. Huh. Hey, I'm gonna double check that. Yeah, Burning Priest. Okay, so Necromortis from Canada. Their EP is called burning priest and it's like it's basically like cataclysm worship really it, it, I, I can't like like it, i it's it's not quite cataclysm but like it's, it's the closest approximation but like it's it's like i remember i uh i found out about them from kelly uh is queerdo from uh is, is that how you say his name from like moral decay and death yeah. rune yeah yeah he mentioned it in like an AOL chat room. He was like, we just played with these guys. They just blew us off the stage. And I was like, Oh shit. And I like, I looked them up and found the, the, uh, the CD and bought it. And I was like, it, it was like real brutal. It's like, like if it's kind of like if cataclysm was like a little bit more like knuckle dragging, 
you know, like a little more brutal, not not quite as, I don't know, melodic. That's interesting. The only band I can remember um, that I know about is Cephalectomy from um, uh, Canada, yeah. who does a kind of cataclysm yeah, worship from, thing. Uh, what is it? What's the uh, Nova Scotia or something like that? Uh, you're flexing on me now. I just know they're Canadian, bro. Yeah. No, I, I, I know the name. I know the yeah. name, and I'm like, I'm trying to think. I actually have a, I have a surprising amount of knowledge of like the Nova Scotia death metal scene. I, I just like happened to do it like fucking 15 years ago, but um, yeah, you know, I, I I know a couple other bands I, I could uh, recommend to you in that style. But, Interesting. Um, okay, we'll have to do that off. We'll have to do we'll have to do that another episode. That's definitely a good topic. Yeah. No. The, the, the like that kind of early cataclysm. Yeah. The the, nor- uh, the, the nor- northern hyperblast style. Yeah, but like the, uh, the the vocals are like this fucking wind tunnel, like super brutal. Hmm. But um, it just it, you know, like they didn't do anything else. Like I think like one guy in the band, I looked him up. Like one guy might have gone on to do something else. But like everybody else in the band is like they did this one EP. They never did anything else. Huh. And it, it was like it just it, it like floored me when I heard it, and I I didn't know how to you know, describe it to anybody. That's pretty in line with a lot of the things we talked about tonight. So a lot of those one hit wonders, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it sucks when people do that and they're like, Oh yeah, we just did, we did this one band and then we just broke up and you know, everybody got like, is like a lawyer now. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's some bands where people are worse now, man, but, um, uh, that that's that's definitely good. I gotta do it. I really gotta look up both those recommendations. I knew you. I knew you dropped some some shit on me, man. That's good for us and for the listeners. Um, Long Island's Dave Gladding, former bass player of the Communion, uh, longtime friend of mine, and longtime underground scene aficionado. We appreciate your banter, your candor, and your conversation this evening. Um, uh, your story of getting into metal yourself, and uh, I appreciate you just uh, di- dishing uh, on a lot of these topics and these albums we came up with, because um, I knew that you had kind of a love for Long Island uh, death metal history and lore and beyond, man, just like I did. So thanks for coming on the show, brother. Hey, man, my pleasure. Yeah, man, we'd love to get you back on, because we didn't even complete the list, and then you tossed out this whole weird Nova Scotia um, uh, <laughs> a, a wild card on me, man. We'll get yeah. into all that stuff Dude, again in the future. Nova Scotia is where it's at. Just want to let you know, that's it. I, I'm sure it's nicer than Huntington Station where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Dave, thank you very much for your time, man. We'll talk to you again, I'm sure. Well, man, have a good night. Big shout to Dave Gladding, uh, having a nice, li- nice little conversation, you know, over coffee about Long Island death metal and New York death metal and all those great things. Man, we encourage you to look up all those great bands we talked about. Uh, show support to the ones that uh, stuff is still available from and are still around. Um, and uh, we appreciate all you guys showing support out there on the social media, on the Patreon, um, wherever you're at. Uh, we got one listener. 
usually checks in on the voicemail. We encourage you to leave voicemails. We actually need voicemails at this moment. We don't have many. Cat got your tongue, I oh, believe, is oh, the phrase. Oh. Come on, yeah. spit it out. Yeah, Does did the great cat get your tongue? Does she cut it off with her guitar? People know what I'm talking about if they're real. Um, the great cat, Tom, you remember her? Mm. I think she was a Long Island girl. Dave would know. We should ask Dave yeah. about that. Yeah, we missed right. that. I'll, I'll, when, when we're done recording, I'm going to break it down for you. Show me. Yes. Okay, it's scary. Um, but we'll go there. Listen, uh, but someone who's not scary, someone who's actually pretty friendly, Bobby Bundy, longtime listener and supporter of the show, usually leaves a voicemail. Um, maybe he's like you. Maybe he had like some sort of uh, laryngitis or he's got a tonsillectomy thing going on. You know, who yeah. knows? But he dropped me. Maybe he just thought I was lonely. Maybe he thought Big Will needed to pick me up because he hit me up on Facebook and dropped a message for the Heavy Hole Podcast, which you could do. We're out there on all the social medias for you. Um, well, most of them. We're not on like we're not on Christian Mingle. Yeah, not on the weird ones. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. But um, we're on the more yeah. heavily monitored ones. <laughs> yeah, the heavily curated uh, ones. Shout out to Bobby Bundy. Hit me up on Facebook recently. Um, I got to drop this. He said. Uh, uh, he, I just listened to the episode with the producer of Extreme Nations. By the way, in the recommendation section at the end, Tom had proclaimed that he was introducing a band no one has heard of. I had been a fan of Suffocate Bastard and had a digital of their full length in my expansive collection. Flex. Damn. So Bobby Bundy just flexed on Tom. Yep. So he... Now that I dropped that flex bomb on you for Bobby, see we got you, man. If He's, you want to, and if you want to flex on me, you I can don't like Bobby. Now you can like Bobby. I don't like <laughs> everyone him. likes Bobby. All right. Uh, he he also writes. I'm also still going through 2021 albums. Just like I'm still going through 1991 albums, Bobby. There's a lot of stuff out there. Just now getting to mid October. FYI, this is the same Bobby that leaves the voicemails. I know Bobby. Come on, buddy. Uh, he said, you should definitely check out the 2021 release from Interminable Corruptions. I think you dig it. It contains a couple of members of Devangelic. Peace. Peace to you, Bobby. Thanks for getting in touch. Um, and I appreciate those recommendations. You did. You you also, we're going to continue on. He, he shouted out a few other bands. But this Interminable Corruptions um, on SBDC Records 2021 uh Various members from Russia and the Ukraine, I think, with members of Devangelic also. This is a phenomenal. Uh, the guy Dis Jorge from Spain on bass. Great Beautiful name. death metal uh, album right here. Bass really comes through. Yeah. You really. could tell that they have like a special session bass guy or, or whoever this Dis Jorge guy is. He's crushing it. Yeah. I'm a fan. Yeah. This is amazing. It's one of those things that, you know, I got to say... I can't, I'm not going to speak for Eston Brown, uh, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago, but he talked a lot in that in that uh, interview about bringing it back to the essence with brutal death metal and uh, bringing it back to what it's all about. And this, to me, is, the, is a really refreshing take on a classic sound. This, to me, is like taking that classic Disgorge Cali um, or... or even in some parts, maybe like a mortal decay, just that night, you know, deeds of flesh, just that classic Cadillac of death, of brutal death metal, vintage sound, and polishing it up and pulling out the new model. You know, the album art is fantastic. Yeah, this so. this is a primo album. This is worth investing a couple of bucks in if you want to buy the physical or hit them up on Bandcamp or whatever. Man, great shit, man. I I don't know if this is more of a studio thing. Or an actual band. I see they've had a few lineup changes and they've had like members from different countries going on. But 
This is fucking awesome. It makes me want to check. They had one album before this that I want to check out as well. Yeah, so that was uh, Interminable Corruptions, man. Um, Bobby went on. He said, um, as as an older recommendation to you, I don't think I've heard you gentlemen mention Digested Flesh, The Answer to Infection from 2004 yet. That's actually the band that comes to mind sometimes when hearing the name Afterbirth because of their song, Bucket of Afterbirth. Ew. Nice, groovy slam. Sort of reminds me of Down from the Wound, but not quite as skilled. No disrespect to digested flesh. I just hold down from the wound in very high regard. I could agree though, because I, you know, I don't, I don't know that digested flesh was going for uh, anything technical or trying to impress anybody. Digested flesh. If I know these brutal New Jersey guys, they really just wanted people throwing chairs at the shows. Probably. It doesn't need to vary much. It's it's serving yeah. a purpose, and and I like that. It's one. It's, it's one of those albums that you know you're getting this for the whole run of the album. You're getting uh, now. Look, the blasts are there. The ch- the chuggy, low tuned, swampy guitars are there. The vocals are disgusting. But I think what sets this band apart from a million bands that use a very similar formula is the rhythm section. The bass player and drummer combined hitting those thoroughly busy hip hop beats. Um, and slams. Uh, there's times where you could mistake this for E-Town Concrete if the guy wasn't guttural, guttural pig burping over everything. You know, it, this just hits in a way that I think only New Jersey can do, man. Our brethren from across the old pond there. New Jersey is kind of just like a different version of Long Island in like a parallel universe. That's my personal opinion. You know, it's something of drinking all that, that foul New York City water spilling mm. into your... The only argument is over, like, Taylor Ham. Like, what the hell is that? Uh, just give me the, the boar's head uh, oven gold roast turkey, all right? I'll get that at the deli. Thank yeah. you very much. But listen, uh, I'm not going to disagree on Digested Flesh. And shout out to Bacchiotomy, another band I know some of those guys were involved in. But yeah, Digested Flesh from Jersey. Uh, I'm a little more familiar with that, Bobby, but a beautiful band that you've, you're definitely right we should have brought up by now, man. This is great. Especially good if, like, this to me also, I got to say, uh, this is great to talk about this episode in particular because we talk so much about Long Island death metal with Dave Gladding. The band Reputilation, who people are more familiar with now than they used to be, a short-lived Long Island band that was very ahead of the game on guttural vocals and slams and kind of predated devourment on that similar style. This Digested Flesh album, to me, it almost sounds like what Reputilation would have like put out if they made a full length album it's mm. just and i say that with all due respect to both acts you know sure
ordered a split with them on it, and it came from Russia. And yeah. I ordered this, like, I was hammered. I didn't remember ordering it, so it came, like, months later, and I was like, ah, oh, this, this is pretty pretty great. It's like pretty uh, nice surprise here. Tomorrow's Victim, from they're, like, from Queens. It's like the guys are in Pyrexia now, yeah. two of them, but it's, like, very ignorant, like, beat-down kind of death metal, like, death metal-influenced kind of hardcore stuff. And they did like they end up did they did some split with some band from Colombia, some like brutal guttural band. I like this. I think people from other countries really ape the New York thing. You know what I mean? Or like the For East sure. Coast thing. You know? Yeah. All right, digested flesh, man, from New Jersey. Now, uh, Bobby, um, uh, kind of uh, preluded uh, this next with with what he said. Uh, he said, "I've heard um, down from the wound mentioned yet." So that's another you should definitely personally check out. Their 2014 album, Violence and Macabre. Love that drum sound and the pinch harmonics. Down from the Wound uh, from the Philippines. Yes, I did give that a spin. Uh, their 2014 album, Violence and the Macabre on Comatose Music. Down from the Wound, a Filipino band. It's been a long time since we had Polo on and did those ping episodes. But the very first time Polo Paguntalan came on, I believe he talked a lot about Filipino death metal bands. He, might, he probably mentioned them. Um, I'd have to go back and look. But yeah, this album, regardless, is a really good album. I think all the, the the common theme with all three of these recommendations and why I wanted to give it up to Bobby and I have this little segment here is because he this brutal death metal genre can be exhausting. I'll admit it for myself, dude. Like I will always love suffocation and uh cryptopsy none so vile and you know certain albums by devourment or I could go on and on and on and on. You know, I and I, I love a lot of really ignorant brutal, ignorant death metal and gore grind and stuff. But there is a sea of bands, and you get exhausted and stifled trying to check it out and find the cream of the crop. So these three bands um, that Bobby curated for us, I really think they, they represent altogether about 15 years of brutal death metal from 2004, The Digested Flesh, to this being 2014, this Down From The Wound album, and that most recent 2021 uh, Interminable Corruptions album, and these represent albums that kind of stand out and at least stand the test of time. I think that Interminable Corruptions album has a good chance of standing the test of time, um, as amazing and uh, unique as it is, but still as true and traditional as it is. And the Digested Flesh and the Down from the Wound album, these both also really stood the test of time for me, in my opinion. Um, still competitive uh, and catchy, and the most important part is they have some personality, and you can tell them apart from the next 10 Brutal Death Metal albums. That's a huge plus in my book. That's what it is, dude. That Interminable Corruptions especially. But yeah, this Down From The Wound, you can listen to this and it doesn't just sound like another dozen bands that, that kind of sound like Discord's California. You know, yeah. they, and they're all doing their thing. Respect to those bands. But, yeah. you know, it's good to have figure out something that sets you apart. Dude, there's like, at one point there was like, what, over a dozen members of Wu-Tang Clan? Yeah. Respect for all of them. I, I prefer Ghostface Killer and... A certain, you know, like they, everyone has their favorites, you know, of, of, of who does what, you know? Exactly. It's all good. Yeah, but so shout out to Bobby Bundy. Uh, if you want to call in or if you want to hit us up on uh, the social medias or anything like that, feel free to. Um, we can't get to everybody, but we try to we try to get to the good ones. 
<laughs> only the good ones. Yeah, only only the best. No, um, but shout out to everybody supporting us out there. Uh, shout out to Dave Gladding again for coming on the show. And um, uh, if you want to hit us up on social media or Patreon, feel free to support, man. We always appreciate that. Thank you very much. And thank you to... Um, no, I'm just going uh, in circles. Thank you to you. Yeah, no, th- Tom. I want to thank your dog. Oh, dog her. has been great filling in for Justin the last few weeks. Mm. Um, she doesn't offer as much fishing banter, but the uh, moral support is great. I could not reach over and do this with Justin. That would be I'm petting the dog. You could. Yeah. You just have to, you know, get a consent form. I wouldn't want to. Uh, Let's bye. come on. All right, but shout, yeah, shout out to Justin all day. We appreciate him. Uh, hopefully, he'll be back uh, in the next couple of weeks sometime. He might be using, using that Comset fishing pass already. He might be down there in the water playing uh, around. Hey, man, we could go throw some batteries in this mixer and go record by the water. Oh, I got one. Ah, 